Hello, everyone. Welcome back to all my listeners. Hope you're all having a great day so far. And if this is your first time finding me, thanks so much and welcome. Welcome to episode two of my third season. Today is Wednesday, May 12th, 2021. My name is Sanal Patel, and this is the Paint the Medical Picture podcast series. Now, I've been having a blast with my special guest lineup for this new season. It's bringing me back to all my past bodies of work, back to my museum days and curating episodes with specific themes and threads of interest in mind. I simply love hearing about all their journeys into amazing and their paths towards even better. And I hope you will too. Now, today's episode is simply packed. It is chock full of relevant industry news and compliance tips. I keep diving into those smirk audits and I keep sharing all my compliance tips. So watch out. These smirk audits are already hitting so many practices across the country. This week, I get into intravenous immune globulin. This episode also highlights the newsworthy OIG work plan for April 2021. And I round out today's episode with some profound words on journeys from Tony Robbins. If you checked me out on LinkedIn, you know I'm all about compliance and protecting our physicians and valued healthcare professionals when it comes to the business of medicine. I hope this week with me brings you enough to take back to your organizations, to want to dive in deeper, to use my tips and best practices to ensure success. I hope this podcast will help you boost the quality of documentation capture and improve coding accuracy as you help your providers paint the medical picture. If you like what you're hearing, go ahead and hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss another episode. Please write in a review and drop me a five-star rating on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to my podcast. I'd really love your support. And as always, a friendly disclaimer. Remember, I'm bringing you the current healthcare industry news, my compliance tips and recommendations based on my over 10 years of experience in front office, back end, coding, and billing for multi-specialty physicians, compliance, and auditing for both ENM and surgical operative reports. These are my opinions alone and are not to be construed as legal advice. So let's get into newsworthy. I wanted to go over the 10 new April 2021 updates made to the OIG work plan. Now, the first is titled NIH Oversight of Foreign Grant Recipients Compliance with Audit Requirements. This audit is being conducted from the Office of Audit Services. Now, the National Institutes of Health, that's our NIH, they are the primary federal agency for conducting and supporting medical research. To realize its mission of extending healthy lifespans and reducing the burdens of illness and disability, NIH funds grants, cooperative agreements, and contracts that support the advancement of fundamental knowledge about the nature and behavior of living systems. Now, the 27 institutes and centers of the NIH provide leadership and financial support to researchers both inside and outside the United States. Approximately 80% of NIH funding goes to support research grants, including grants to foreign organizations. Foreign grant recipients that spend $750,000 or more in HHS funds within one year are subject to certain audit requirements intended to provide assurance to the federal government that the recipient has in place adequate, excuse me, adequate internal controls and is generally in compliance with program requirements. 
The OIG will review NIH funding to foreign grant recipients to determine whether, number one, if the NIH foreign grant recipients submit required audit reports, and number two, that the NIH appropriately maintains and uses the audit reports. The final report is expected in fiscal year 2022. Now, the second OIG work plan update for April 2021 is titled Use of States Immunization Information Systems to Monitor COVID-19 Vaccinations. This is also an audit from the Office of Evaluations and Inspections. Now, the Immunization Information Systems, the IIS, plays an integral role in monitoring vaccine uptake in the population and meeting vaccination goals. Now, while, this, while the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, that's our CDC, and other stakeholders have long invested significant efforts to establish plans and standards to guide improvements in IIS, the state and local jurisdictions have actually often struggled to make these improvements. So CDC's work to collect and share data on COVID-19 vaccinations relies heavily on state and local IIS working with federal systems. However, the pre-existing limitations of these systems pose challenges for the CDC's goal of comprehensive immunization data being made available for clinical and public health uses. So this OIG study will examine state and federal experiences using these systems to collect, share, and monitor data on COVID-19 vaccinations, as well as identify lessons learned that can improve vaccination data and monitoring for future mass vaccination campaigns, as well as routine vaccination programs. The final report is expected in fiscal year 2022. Now, the third OIG work plan update for April 2021 is titled Audit of Background Verification Process at IHS-Operated Health Facilities. This analysis is stemming from the Office of Audit Services. Now, the Indian Child Protection and Family Violence Prevention Act requires background checks, including FBI fingerprinting for individuals whose duties involve contact with children. Furthermore, IHS excuse me, is called the Indian Health Service, and they have appropriated funds which may not be used to pay for services provided by individuals excluded from federally funded health care programs. Prior OIG audit work identified IHS and tribal health facilities that did not meet federal requirements for background verifications of employees in contact with children. The OIG will determine whether IHS-operated health facilities met federal requirements for background verifications of employees, contractors, and volunteers in contact with Indian children served by the facilities and whether healthcare providers treating these children were appropriately licensed. This final report is expected in fiscal year 2022. Now, the fourth OIG work plan update for April 2021 is titled Medicare Part B Drug Payments, Impact of Price Substitutions Based on 2019 Average Sales Prices. This review is from the Office of Evaluation and Inspections. Now, when Congress established Average Sales Price, or ASP, as the basis for Medicare Part B drug reimbursements, it also provided a mechanism for monitoring market prices and limiting potentially excessive Medicare payment amounts. The Social Security Act mandates that the OIG compare ASPs with Average Manufacturer Prices, or AMPs. Now, if the OIG finds that the ASP for a drug exceeds the AMP, 
by 5% in the two previous quarters or in three of the previous four quarters, the Secretary of Health and Human Services may substitute the reimbursement amount with a lower calculated rate. And over the past decade, OIG has produced annual reports aggregating the results of mandated quarterly ASP to AMP comparisons. This annual report will quantify the savings to Medicare and its beneficiaries that are a direct result of CMS's price substitution policy based on 2019 ASPs and may offer recommendations for Medicare to achieve additional savings. The final report is expected in 2021. Now, the fifth OIG work plan update for April 2021 is titled Duplicate Medicare Professional Fee Billing by Both the Critical Access Hospital and the Healthcare Practitioner to Medicare Part B. This analysis will be connected will be conducted by the Office of Audit Services. Now, under Section 1834G1 of the Social Security Act and federal regulations under 42 CFR Sections 410.152K and 413.70B, critical access hospitals, also called the cause, are paid under the standard payment method unless they elect to be paid under the optional payment method. Now, under Section 1834G2 of the Social Security Act and federal regulations under 42 CFR Section 413.70B3I, a CA may elect the optional payment method under which it bills the Part B MAC for both Medicare Part B facility services and Medicare Part B professional services for its outpatients. Now, if a physician or other practitioner reassigns his or her Medicare Part B billing rights pursuant to 42 CFR Part 424 subpart F and agrees to be included under a cause optional payment method, he or she must not bill the MAC for any outpatient professional services furnished at the CA once the reassignment becomes effective. The CA must forward a copy of the completed assignment form, which is on form CMS 855R, to the MAC and keep the original form on file. Now, each practitioner must sign an attestation that clearly states that he or she will not bill Medicare Part B for any services furnished in the CA outpatient department once the reassignment has been given to the CA. And you can also find this as a citation in the Medicare Claims Processing Manual in Chapter 4, Section 250.2. Now, the OIG will determine whether CAUSE forwarded a completed form, CMS 855R, to the MAC. They will also determine whether both the CA and the physician billed and were paid by the MAC for the same outpatient professional services. The OIG will also determine whether the patient paid coinsurance amounts to both the CA and the physician or the other practitioner. And the OIG will also determine whether CMS has an edit in place to ensure that duplicate payments for beneficiary outpatient professional services are not made. Now, this final report is expected in fiscal year 2022. And the sixth OIG work plan update for April 2021 is titled Skilled Nursing Facility Reimbursement. The Office of Audit Services is in charge here. Now, a skilled nursing facility, a SNF, 
is a nursing home that provides skilled nursing care and rehabilitation services such as physical, speech, and occupational therapy to patients who need assistance after hospitalization. Now, back in October of 2019, CMS implemented a new payment system for determining Medicare Part A payments to SNFs. Specifically, CMS implemented the Patient-Driven Payment Model, or the PDPM, which is a new case-mix classification system for classifying SNF patients in a Medicare Part A-covered stay into payment groups under the SNF Prospective Payment System. Now, under PDPM, payment is determined by factoring in a combination of six payment components. Five of those components are case-mix case mix adjusted and include a physical therapy component, an occupational therapy component, a speech language pathology component, a non-therapy ancillary services component, and a skilled nursing component. Additionally, there is a non-case mix adjusted component to cover some utilization of SNF resources that do not vary according to patient characteristics. The OIG will determine whether Medicare payments to SNFs under PDPM complied with Medicare requirements. The final report is expected in fiscal year 2022. Now, the seventh OIG work plan update for April 2021 is titled Audit of Health Resources and Services Administration's COVID-19 Supplemental Grant Funding for Health Centers. This final report is coming from the Office of Audit Services. Now, the Health Resources and Services Administration, known as HRSA, awarded nearly $2 billion in supplemental grant funding to just around 1,400 health centers nationwide in fiscal year 2020 to respond to the COVID-19 public health emergency, the PHE. Now, the funding was intended to support the health center's activities related to the detection, prevention, diagnosis, and treatment of COVID-19 including maintaining or increasing health center capacity and staffing levels during the pandemic and expanding COVID-19 testing. Now, the performance period for each of these one-time supplemental grant awards, which HRSA began awarding in March 2020, is for 12 months. Health centers were permitted to charge to their awards pre-award costs in order to support expenses related to the COVID-19 PHE dating back to January 20th, of 2020. Now, the OIG will determine whether health centers used their HRSA COVID-19 supplemental grant funding in accordance with federal requirements and grant terms. The final report is expected in fiscal year 2022. Now, the eighth OIG work plan update for April 2021 is titled Dermatologist Claims for Evaluation and Management Services on the Same Day as Minor Surgical Procedures. This final report is coming from the Office of Audit Services. Now, Medicare covers an evaluation and management and ENM service when the service is reasonable and necessary for the diagnosis or treatment of an illness or an injury or to improve the functioning of a malformed body member. Generally, Medicare payments for global surgery procedures include payments for necessary preoperative and postoperative services related to the surgery when furnished by a surgeon. Now, Medicare global surgery rules define the rules for reporting ENM services with minor surgery and other procedures covered by these rules. In general, ENM services provided on the same day of service as a minor surgical procedure are included in the payment for the procedure. 
the decision to perform a minor surgical procedure is included in the payment for a minor surgical procedure and must not be reported separately as an ENM service. An ENM service should be billed only on the same day if a surgeon performs a significant and separately identifiable ENM service that is unrelated to the decision to perform a minor surgical procedure. And in this instance, the provider should append a modifier 25 to the appropriate ENM, ENM code. In 2019, about 56% of dermatologists' claims with an ENM service also included minor surgical procedures, such as lesion removals, destructions, and biopsies on the same day. Now, this may indicate abuse whereby the provider used modifier 25 to bill Medicare for a significant and separately identifiable ENM service when in fact only a minor surgical procedure and related preoperative or postoperative service was supported by the patient's medical record. So the OIG will determine whether dermatologist claims for ENM services on the same day of service as a minor surgical procedure complied with these Medicare requirements. The final report is expected in fiscal year 2021. Now, the ninth OIG work plan update for April 2021 is titled Toolkit Insights from OIG's work on the Office of Refugee Resettlement's efforts to care for unaccompanied children. This final report is being conducted by the Office of Evaluation and Inspections. Now, the Office of Refugee Resettlement, the ORR, a program office of the Administration for Children and Families, has custody of and must provide care for children in the Unaccompanied Children Program, the UC program. The number of unaccompanied children apprehended at the border has surged many times in recent years, resulting in large numbers of children in ORR custody. ORR provides grants to facilities that provide care to children in the UC program until suitable sponsors in the United States can assume custody. OIG has a body of work that encompasses many aspects of the challenges faced by ORR in managing the UC program. For example, this body of work has focused on ORR and grantee efforts to address children's mental health needs, reunite children separated from their parents, conduct background screenings of facility employees, maintain physical security at grantee facilities, and document safety incidents. This toolkit will synthesize findings and recommendations from past OIG work and provide key insights on ORR's administration and oversight of the UC program. This final report is expected in fiscal year 2021. And the 10th final OIG work plan update for April 2021 is titled How Part D Plans Preference for Higher Cost Hepatitis C Drugs Affects Medicare Beneficiaries. The Office of Evaluations and Inspections is conducting this report. Now, back in 2019, Medicare Part D spent approximately $2.5 billion for hepatitis C drugs to treat 50,000 patients with the disease. Three drugs, Harvoni, Epclusa, and Maviret, accounted for 93% of expenditures with annual Medicare costs that ranged from $28,000 to $77,000 per beneficiary. Now, a portion of these totals was shared by the Medicare patients who faced thousands of dollars in out-of-pocket costs for hepatitis C drugs under Part D. 
Now, in early 2019, the manufacturer of Harvoni and Eplusa launched authorized generic versions of both drugs with the expressed goal of reducing patients' out-of-pocket costs. Now, the retail price of authorized generic versions is $24,000, which is significantly less than the prices of Harvoni and Eplusa, and even less than Maviret. These lower list prices should in turn lead to lower out-of-pocket costs, as authorized generics are as effective as branded versions but sell for only a fraction of the cost. However, a preliminary analysis indicates that Medicare utilization has not shifted from brand-name versions of Harvoni and Epclusa to their significantly cheaper authorized generic versions or to Maviret. This study will examine the utilization of hepatitis C drugs under Part D and the financial impact on Medicare Part D and patients. The final report is expected in fiscal year 2022. Now, that was a pretty massive OIG work plan update for April 2021. So in my opinion, I always have providers who need this critical information to review all of their coding and billing practices or their overarching compliance programs. And as you can see, four out of 10 of these work plan items will in fact address the accuracy of reimbursement. I think these reports with findings are always most interesting and informative, and I look forward to analyzing them in the years ahead. It's also important for my listeners to pay attention to these monthly OIG work plan updates to see how they may impact you, your provider, or your health system. Remember, even in my third season, stay tuned for my monthly OIG work plan updates. They drop the second Wednesday of each month. And now it's time for my best practice tips in trusty tip. Let's dive into my compliance tips here in part 10 of my smirk audits that are blasting in across the country. Remember, these are the 16 new Unified Program Integrity Contractor, the UPIC audits, that are being conducted via the Supplemental Medical Review Contractor, the SMERC at Neridian. Their function is to conduct nationwide medical review of Parts A, B, and DME providers and suppliers as directed by CMS. It's the responsibility of the SMERC to review medical records and related documentation to ensure that claims are processed in accordance with CMS guidelines. Now, I provided you with the details for, for nine in prior episodes that involves durable medical equipment, or DME, supplies in non-covered skilled nursing facilities known as SNFs, spinal cord stimulators, outpatient hyperbaric oxygen therapy, or HBOT, diabetic testing strips, DTS, polysomnography, also called sleep studies, inpatient rehabilitation facility, or ERF, Skilled nursing facilities are SNFs once again, specimen validity, and therapeutic shoes for diabetics that are current audits in the SMERC's spotlight. So let's get into part 10 of my SMERC audits. The 10th is titled 01-029 Intravenous Immune Globulin or IVIG Notification of Medical Review. Now, Noridian SMERC is conducting post-payment review of claims for Medicare Part B of A for intravenous immune globulin, again, our IVIG, services billed on dates of service from July 1st, 2018 
through June 30th of 2019. Remember, these are the time parameters. This notification includes the reasons for the review, documentation that will be requested in the additional documentation request letter, the ADR, and resources that providers and suppliers may wish to consult with as they're submitting their claims. Now, some background on the why. Why on earth is this audit happening? So let's go over some background details. Now, the OIG published a report way back in 2015, which is titled, quote, Medicare Part B payments, excuse me, Medicare Part B overpayments for selected outpatient drugs, end quote, that identified significant overpayments exceeding $122 million made by Medicare contractors to providers for outpatient drugs during a three-year period from July 2009 through June of 2012. Now, as a result of these overpayments, the OIG conducted review and analysis of outpatient drug claims subsequent to the original audit period, and they also found additional overpayments were made from July 2012 through June of 2014 for outpatient drugs. The OIG also found nearly 90% of overpayments were due to billing errors by providers. Now, in response to the previous findings, CMS implemented several medically unlikely edits, also called MUEs, as prepayment edits to automatically detect claims billed with more units of service than what was determined reasonable and medically necessary for a provider to administer to a beneficiary on the same date of service for specific healthcare common procedure coding system codes, that those are all of our HICSPICS codes. Now, additionally, as a result of that OIG report, the previous SMERC conducted research, data analysis, and medical review in 2016 of outpatient drug claims. And IVIG was one of the top categories of outpatient drug claims recommended for further review. And of course, the reason for this medical review is critical. They are narrowing it down for us in scope, thank goodness. The scope involves Noridian SMERC performing data analysis and conducting medical review. Noridian SMERC will, com will complete their data analysis and review activities in accordance with applicable statutory, regulatory, and subregulatory guidance. They are honing in on type of Bill 13X for outpatient hospital. They're also honing in on two CPT codes and 10 HICSPICS codes that I will further describe. Now, let's go over those two CPT codes. The first CPT code under scrutiny is CPT code 96365, which is defined as intravenous infusion for therapy, prophylaxis, or diagnosis, specify the substance or the drug, initial, up to one hour. Now, the second CPT code under scrutiny is CPT code 96366, which is defined as intravenous infusion for therapy, prophylaxis, or diagnosis, specify the substance or the drug each additional hour. List separately in addition to code for the primary procedure. Now let's move on to those 10 HICSPICS codes that are under scrutiny. The first HICSPICS code is HICSPICS code J1459, which is defined as injection, immune globulin, privagen, intravenous, non-lyophilized, which means it's a liquid, 500 milligrams. The second HICSPICS code is HICSPICS code J1557, which is defined as injection, immune globulin, 
Gammaplex, intravenous, non-lyophilized, again, it's a liquid, 500 milligrams. The third HixPix code under scrutiny is HixPix code J1559, which is defined as injection, immune globulin, hisentra, 100 milligrams. The fourth HixPix code under scrutiny is HixPix code J1561, which is defined as injection, immune globulin, gamunex C, or gamaked, non-lyophilized, which means it's it's a liquid, once again, excuse me, 500 milligrams. The fifth HixPix code under scrutiny is HixPix code J1566, which is defined as injection, immune globulin, intravenous, lyophilized, which means it's a powder, not otherwise specified, 500 milligrams. The sixth HixPix code under scrutiny is HixPix code J1568, which is defined as injection, immune globulin, octagam, intravenous, non-lyophilized, again, it's a liquid, 500 milligrams. The seventh HixPix code under scrutiny is HixPix code J1569, which is defined as injection, immune globulin, gamma guard liquid, non-lyophilized, it's a liquid, 500 milligrams. The eighth HixPix code under scrutiny is HixPix code J1572, which is defined as injection, immune globulin, phlebogamma, phlebogamma diff, intravenous, non-lyophilized, again, it's a liquid, 500 milligrams. The ninth HixPix code under scrutiny is HixPix code J2791, which is defined as injection, rho D, immune globulin, human, rophylac, intramuscular, or intravenous, 100 international units. And the final 10th HixPix code under scrutiny is HixPix code J2792, which is defined as injection, rho D, immune globulin, intravenous, human, solvent detergent, 100 international units. Now, of course, there are documentation requirements that go along with this as well. So I'm going to go over a list of 12 specific very specific documentation requirements that will be in your ADR letter. These are the items that you will have to furnish to support your claims that have already been paid and are now under review for your post-payment audit. Now, the first documentation requirement under scrutiny that you have to provide is the physician or non-physician practitioner order for the date of service. The second documentation requirement is that history and physical exam documentation, if applicable. The third documentation requirement is that physician's progress notes. The fourth documentation requirement is the diagnoses and clinical findings related to the service. The fifth documentation requirement are those procedure records, the results, and the interpretations. The sixth documentation requirement are those infusion records and the medication administration records, including documentation to support any timed codes if they were billed. The seventh documentation requirement includes those nursing notes for the dates or dates of service. The eighth documentation requirement is the documentation to support overutilization if it's applicable. Remember, um, if there are more than the required amounts for the MUEs, you have to include that documentation to support uh, the overuse of those units. The ninth documentation requirement 
includes the documentation to support the continued use of the drug if it's applicable. The 10th documentation requirement are those laboratory reports if those are applicable. The 11th documentation requirement includes the valid electronic and handwritten physician and or other clinician signatures. Also remember to include those signature logs and signature attestation statements. Those should also be submitted when the physician and or the other clinician signatures are simply illegible. And the final 12th documentation requirement involves other documentation to support the medical necessity. Remember, these post-payment audits are a sign, right? A signal that something may be amiss in your documentation, coding, and billing. These 12 requirements are a very good reminder that you should be making checklists and improving your workflows and efficiencies at your practice to ensure all documentation is being captured, coded, and billed compliantly for all applicable statutory and regulatory guidelines. So a better, smarter approach is one that's proactive and starts by painting a clear, rich, and vibrant medical picture the first time so your certified medical coder can then abstract codes with accuracy. And finally, in this week's inspiring quote in Spark is from author, motivational speaker, and self-help icon, Tony Robbins. The only impossible journey is the one you never begin. So very, very true, right? I think this is a remarkable reminder on beginning just begin. And I agree wholeheartedly. Why on earth should we wait? We must all begin somewhere and keep going. Bumps and all, forks in the road, everything. We will never know just how far we can soar if we simply sit it out, if we don't take a chance. And no one can take that chance for us. So I always believe absolutely anything is possible. I'm happy Tony Robbins Spark still burns brightly in all of us today. So that wraps up today's episode. Please go out and make this a great day, an incredible week for yourselves. Aim a little higher, do a little more, and give back in any way you can in 2021. There's so much each one of us can do. Now, in my final note, it's another newsworthy one. So note, as of the recording of this episode, we have even more CPT codes added off-cycle once again due to the seemingly never-ending pandemic. And although the Novavax vaccine has yet to be FDA-approved, just like the AstraZeneca vaccine I've already discussed in past season episodes, as coders, we must be aware that the AMA has already developed CPT code 91304, which is defined as Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, Coronavirus 2, SARS-CoV-2, Coronavirus Disease, COVID-19, Vaccine, Recombinant Spike Protein Nanoparticle, Saponin-Based Adjutivant, Preservative-Free, 0.5 milliliter dosage for intramuscular use. Now, in addition to the new vaccine-specific product CPT code, the Novavax COVID-19 vaccine has also been issued vaccine administration CPT codes that are specific to its two-dose immunization schedule. Now, these CPT codes are used to report the actual work of administering the vaccine in addition to all the necessary counseling provided to patients 
or their caregivers, as well as updating the electronic medical record. Now that first administration code is CPT code 0041A, which is defined as immunization administration by intramuscular injection of severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2, SARS-CoV-2, coronavirus disease, COVID-19 vaccine, recombinant spike protein nanoparticle, saponin-based adjuvant, preservative-free, 0.5 milliliter dosage, first dose. And that second CPT code for the administration is CPT code 0042A, which is defined as immunization administration by intramuscular injection of severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2, SARS-CoV-2, coronavirus disease, COVID-19 vaccine, recombinant spike protein nanoparticle, saponin-based adjuvant, preservative-free, 0.5 milliliter dosage, second dose. Wow, so much newsworthy in this episode. I love it. And as always, I appreciate you all diving into today with me. And if you want more information from me, please go ahead and follow me on LinkedIn. I'll leave links to everything in the show notes below. Please continue staying safe and healthy, practice safety for one and all during our collective life in the time of coronavirus. Thank you so much for listening in on today's extended, extended episode. And I hope every week with me brings you closer to helping all of our providers paint a masterpiece. See you next Wednesday.